Welcome to a special episode of Mentally Flexible. Today's guest is one of my favorite songwriters, Jake Clark. Before we get into the conversation, let's check out one of his amazing songs, Crescent Street Blues. To the wind I'll make my moan Sailing off this northern coast If I never make it back again a song or album become the soundtrack to an important period of your life? That's exactly what happened with the song you just heard, and the album of which it's the title track. It was 2015, and I had just graduated from college. With no idea of what was to come next in life, I loaded up my bike with some clothes and camping gear and started pedaling north from central Connecticut. 
300 miles and several baby wipe showers later, I made it to Burlington, Vermont. My first stop at the end of the day was usually a local bar with good beer and food, which I could consume guiltlessly after burning more calories that day than I did in a typical week of normal life. The place I ended up that night was called Radio Bean, and to my pleasant surprise, there was live music. This was different than your average bar performance. I would know because I consider myself an average bar performer. This guy was something special. The songs instantly connected with me in a deeper place. That musician was Jake Clark, and he is my guest today. For the remainder of my bike trip up through Canada, Jake's music became the soundtrack of this transformative life experience. I have since continued to follow Jake's development as an artist and knew that I had to have him on as a guest for the podcast. In this episode, we explore a range of topics, including how music can bring you back into emotions from the past, Jake's process of letting go of certain dreams, the role of self-criticism in the artistic process, how suffering can be used to fuel songwriting, the inevitable feeling of imposter syndrome that comes as an artist, and how spirituality is connected to trusting our inner intuition. This was such an amazing conversation, especially since I'm also a songwriter and connect deeply with a lot of this content. You'll see that Jake has a beautiful way of articulating difficult concepts to put into words and was willing to demonstrate a real sense of vulnerability. I highly suggest you check out all of Jake's music, and I'll leave you with one more of my favorite songs at the end of the episode. And thank you all for being here. If it's your first time, welcome. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe and leave a review. And share this episode with a friend that you think might connect with the content. All right, well, without further ado, let's get into this conversation with Jake Clark. Thanks for doing this again. I'm super pumped to get to talk to you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the conversation. I guess for context for listeners, it'd be useful to share a little bit about how we were first connected. And that was when, I think it was in 2015, right after I finished my undergrad degree, I had decided to bike from Connecticut up to, I think I ended up in Montreal. And when I got to Burlington, I stopped at a bar, I think it was called Radio Bean. And Mm -hmm. there was this awesome musician playing him and an acoustic guitar and I think harmonica and I was just blown away by these songs and that ended up being you and we got to chat afterward and since doing this podcast I instantly thought of you to talk to because since that time you've been one of my favorite musicians and I've listened to your songs countless times so I'm super excited to get to talk to you. Um, It's really very sweet and flattering. (laughs) I still, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago, but you know, I still kind of question uh, my voice in this uh, podcast scheme. But I'm happy to share my thoughts. Mm-hmm. I guess one of the cool things I'm finding out about having a podcast is it's it's really just an excuse to get to reach out to people that you want to talk to. So. <laughs> yeah, <totally. laughs> um, I would have never just reached out to you and get to talk to you for an hour. So I'm <laughs> excited about it. Yeah. Well, since I sort of shared the context behind when I first met you, maybe we could flip it around. And do you remember where you were at at that time of your life? 
2015. Yeah, I I mean I just I'd released uh EP, the Crescent Street Blues EP. Um so I was playing a lot of shows. I might have been in and out of college at the time too. Had just I was like in the throes of a a breakup, really heartbroken that year. Uh, but put a lot of it into music and and traveling around and playing shows. But I mean, honestly, I don't actually remember too many specifics of 2015. <laughs> but I do remember meeting you and hanging outside. They've got those little um the tables and the kind of like wraparound benches, mm-hmm. and it's always such a nice scene there of just locals hanging out and and you know people who are visiting and and whoever's either just played or is about to play hanging out on that street. It's always a really nice scene there. Crescent street blues became the anthem of the rest of my bike ride. I (laughs) think I listened to the songs on that EP, uh, like a hundred times. Do you have you had that experience where you just get so deep into a, an album and it just kind of like becomes the, the background to your life for a period of time. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then, and then the cool thing is, cause it's always, you, it's always, I feel like for when you have a connection like that with a record, it's hits you right at a moment or you find it right at a moment when, um, yeah, like, you know, you were on this long bike trip, um, and maybe transitioning out of college, like you were saying, and like figuring out what's next. And it's like, I know for me, when I, whatever those records are, like whenever I listen to them now, they still throw me right back to that moment. And sometimes you get even a little bit of the like emotional feeling back. It throws you, you know, it's kind of this like mystic thing. Yes. Yeah, sound and smells can do that too, where you can, they can kind of launch you back into almost the same experience as when you first had that implanted on you. And you're right with Crescent Street Blues, that happens to me all the time when I revisit it. And even just like singular uh, lines in it can really bring me back to a certain place that just connected with me and were relevant to my life at the time. That's so cool to hear. I mean, that's like <laughs> the most I could ever hope that, you know, the songs that I make and record and, and could touch someone in that way, you know, and like stay with them. Yeah. How do you, I, I want to hear what it's like from your perspective, because like from my perspective, you're somebody that like, I think you're such an incredible songwriter and musician and your music has played such a big role in my life. And you didn't really know that until we just reconnected. And <laughs> like, where does that sit with you? Like, does that something you reflect on? Because I'm, I'm definitely not the only person that your music has done that for. So like, how do you, how does it first, like, how does it feel hearing that? And then do you, is that something you ever really reflect on? Um, I mean, for the most part, it's not something I think about. Um, so, yeah, to hear you say that is, it's really pretty amazing, <laughs> you know, and very humbling. Um, yeah, because, 
you know, I'm not a big shot musician. I'm, I'm like pretty small time under the radar. And, uh, so most of it, it's just something that I love doing and something I get to do with friends and people I care about. Um, you know, and so often my shows, I, I might only play to like three people in an audience or, or a bar that doesn't seem to be listening. So mm. to know that someone like did get a CD or, you know, listens to the music online and has some connection to it. Yeah, it's something I don't think about. So it's really pretty amazing to hear. <laughs> little ego boost i guess or, or something it's not it's not even that it's, it's something more special than that so thank you for saying that and i'm glad mm-hmm. it's done something for you and stayed with you do you you know when you're saying that i'm not a, a big shot musician more small time from my perspective you're someone who should be like <laughs> the quality of your songwriting and your voice and your guitar playing does do you want to be a, a big shot musician? And maybe we could use a different word because that's kind of got some weird stuff attached yeah, to it. But do you want to be like a big musician and have kind of millions of plays? And is that is that a goal for you? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, we, we, we talked, you know, whenever that was, a few weeks back. Um, and I was saying it, it is kind of funny that you reached out at this time because I've, over the past like year and a half, maybe two years really been going through this process of kind of letting go of that dream. That had been a dream that I so wanted that, you know, every single day that was like, or if I, uh, you know, saw a shooting star or like blew out some birthday candles or someone picked a, um, an eyelash off my face and, you know, told me to make a wish that was like, I would always wish I want to be like a great songwriter. You know, I want to like write, a great song I want to, you know, um, but over the past couple of years, I've been sort of letting go of that and recognizing that it's really a challenging industry and it takes a lot out of you or at least takes a lot out of me. So I'd kind of been in this grieving process of letting go of that dream. Um, which I guess maybe the silver lining might be, it's just a humbling moment. I'm letting go of something that it was to me before and uh, refining my connection with it, you know? Um, mm. And yeah, like you said, like Big Shot, that's a really strange, got some bad connotations to it, you know? And maybe it's like tied into some capitalist perspectives uh, because you can also... Like, what's the tradition of, like, a bard or a troubadour or someone who writes songs is... It doesn't have to be millions of plays and stuff. It's just moving around whatever your region is or wider than that could be the world. And, you know, just sharing with people some things that you think about or feel or, uh, you know, singing other people's songs or traditional songs was the thing that you dreamt for you're saying that I could write an amazing song or 
like you have written amazing songs. So <laughs> it, it, you kind of, how do you reconcile that? Because do you connect with that? You have written really amazing songs and that there's, there's this other element to it where it's so much is out of your control and how that fits into the greater world where everybody can release their music and people have short attention spans or maybe don't appreciate mm. things in certain ways. Like how do you reconcile um, recognizing the, your own truth and being confident in the work that you do and then having to gauge that off of how it's validated externally? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. And that makes me think it's really not up to me. It's not for me to decide that, you know, it's like, <laughs> Uh, you know, you reached out to me because those songs meant something to you. And that's great. You know, often when I listen to my own music or even like when I'm playing the song. And you're an artist too, so I'm sure you ran into this maybe. But, you know, for me, so often it's like, oh, I could have done that better. Oh, why did I write it this way? Oh, you know, got to do this better next time. Like, I'm not going to use that cliche again. Um, you know, you're always, you're always seeing the holes in it and you're always striving to do something that's better, you know, on the next song or the next record. Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe that's what it is, you know, just being like too Mm self-critical. Is that something that's been, uh, that sounds like it, but I guess open that up a little bit more. Is that something that's been a, a struggle for you throughout your songwriting career and performing career of being really self-critical? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, not even related to music, but just as a human, I've always, you know, I've been someone who's always very hard on myself um, and I've gotten better at it over the years. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's some part of me that thinks, uh, a certain amount of that does help you uh, continue to write. You know that that keeps something in front of you to to work after. You know, but it can definitely also just you can shoot yourself in the foot. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. or bang your head against the wall when you could really just walk through the door that's right there. You know. Mm-hmm. Was there a particular moment recently when you had that letting go? Like, do you remember it or was it a slow, gradual uh, process of letting go of that dream? Uh, It's been, it's been pretty slow. Um, You know, and just a lot of back and forth with myself because. And again, it's, it's not like. I still get the itch to write, uh, you know, and I still am. I'm working on music uh, with some friends right now, and we're going to be releasing another EP probably next year. So still working away at it, you know, but I guess sort of letting go of ever having some major record contract and touring all over the world. Uh, and maybe having my own like bus that we tour in, you know, like that's not going to happen. <laughs> and honestly, that doesn't, I don't think that really happens to many people anyways. Mm. 
Yeah. And I mean, so much of it is just having to factor in the realities of being uh, a human in America who has to pay rent and eat. And it's sort of come, it can almost come down to like an either or it's hard to, it's hard to find a lot of gray area and how you, where you sit with that. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's, that's just a challenge for everybody, I think, because we are a very dualistic culture, right? And the reality is most professional musicians that I know, most of them still have day jobs. So I think maybe that was something that always was getting to me to some degree. You know, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd be back home and working my day job and just feeling like I was wasting time and I should just be out there sending out booking emails and wanting to be on the road and playing more shows and spending more time writing, uh, you know, but wasn't able to make enough money doing that. So, you know, so maybe I'm just growing up and that's just the way it's going to be. Because that's, that's where I'm at now. It's like, oh, well, it'll be fun to just play some shows on the weekend. Uh, maybe every once in a while I'll do a more extended tour. But for the most part, like, I'm still going to have to find some other way of uh, making money, you know. Hmm. Which I think is, I mean, that's a pretty common <laughs> discussion in every professional musician's head, at least a lot of the ones that I know. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, uh, I feel like either everybody has had to, either you fully make it in whatever your art is, which is very rare, or you have to go through this reconciling period where you figure out how to not completely compromise on your art and still survive, or you're a person who has never connected with what your sort of artistic medium is and you haven't and you didn't have to go through that process of reconciliation Mm -hmm. yeah you were you were saying earlier when i you know when i first met you you were performing uh songs off of crescent street blues which is such a, a good ep all those songs are so incredible and you said that it was uh you had gone through a breakup recently at that time and you used a lot of the pain of that to write those songs. You know, that's something that a lot of artists say (laughs) of how you use pain to uh, fuel your art. And I know what you mean because I've done that too, but I thought it'd be, and maybe we can't really put it into language, but could you try to like, to talk about that a little bit more on how you've used your difficult life experiences or some type of suffering or pain to fuel your songwriting. Yeah, I'll give it a shot. I mean, I think you're right. The, the real deep level of it, it's probably hard to actually articulate, but, um, yeah, I mean, when you're in the mode of, writing all the time that that's 
always been my solace. You know, that's where, like, I, I don't have a religion or anything. So that's, that was my, my, like, church or my spiritual place to go, um, which was usually, you know, I, I need to write uh, in some form of solitude. Um, and I'm, I'm the kind of person that, you know, when I'm feeling pain, I, I kind of have to isolate anyways and lick my wounds or contemplate everything. And so that was just a natural way to like spend my time, you know, and rather than like getting into fights or punching the wall or something, I would sort of distract myself by playing chords or singing songs, which would inevitably lead into, you know, improvising, which usually improvising uh, lyrically and singing. And that usually it's, yeah, I mean, it's tapping into some things that you're not even really aware of, but they come out in lyrics, which is always pretty amazing. Um, yeah, it was, I mean, it was actually interesting. I was listening through the songs that you had suggested maybe we would look at. And it's funny, as the years go by or you have more distance from the song and you look back at it, you realize, like, oh, that makes sense that I wrote it at that time. Like, that's kind of what I needed to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's some really, you know... Well, that was the other thing, you know, I never really had like a therapist or anything. So <laughs> music, it was my church was also my therapist or it was like my friend to go talk to. Um, and like s- someone to be very vulnerable with, you know, and you could say anything or express anything, you know, you could sing it really softly and quietly or you could yell it out, you know. Mm-hmm. Did the ability that you've cultivated of being vulnerable through songwriting and then was it hard to transfer that to bring that same sense of vulnerability when you would perform them live? Oh, that was always a really big goal of mine was to... I would always be bummed at the end of a show if I didn't feel like... I emotionally got there. Like the goal is always to forget about everything else and fully emotionally reconnect with that song right in front of everybody. Cause I felt like that would be the way it's the, you know, the like transducer kind of thing. It's like you bring that energy into the room. Right. So yes, emotional energy whether it's a fun song or a sad song but i mean i I would i don't really know much about acting but i i would assume it's something that like actors chase after too is that you have to like fully embody the feeling so people are there witnessing something actually real happening you know yeah so i would always feel bad if i couldn't connect because then it felt like i was just phoning it in and it it was flat then you know the music was flat if the emotion wasn't actually carried through Mm. and how would you 
how do you get there? Is it some, is it something you have to work to do or is it almost just like you have to have the intention to settle in to fully into the present moment? Yeah. I, I never was really able to get a like pre-show routine. So it always would kind of take me, it would just depend where I was at that night or that day. Um, so Usually it would happen once I was up on stage. So maybe it would take me a couple songs to get in. Um, and that's where like a longer set was always better because it might take you like 20 minutes of playing to start to forget about everything else that's going on in your life and just hone in and into the emotional output of each song, you know. Or input, mm. I guess both. Mm. That self-critical part of you, does that only show up after a show or after listening to a recording? Or is that something you have to battle while performing? Like, will you kind of go into that self-critical, self-conscious state while performing sometimes and have to unhook yourself from that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I guess the other funny part with performing is people will think that I'm up there and fully into the song <laughs> while really what's going on in my head is like I'm playing everything and singing everything, but in my head I'm like picking apart little things that are happening or that I'm doing. Or I might even worst. be like thinking about something that happened like earlier in the week or what something I need to do tomorrow, you know. And I guess that's sort of what I mean is like that's when I, it starts to take me out of the emotional place because the ideal yeah. is that you just sort of get into some flow state, some like meditative state. Um, so it is funny how sometimes people don't even see that, but I'm totally going through like self-critique on stage right in the middle of playing a song, you know? Yeah, it's almost like... A it's one of the downsides of playing a song so many times that you, you have that ability to let it go on automatically and still have another piece of your consciousness, like picking apart what you're doing or thinking about what you have to do tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, right. It's pretty amazing. Just that that's a reminder of how much you can just kind of go through your life doing things without being fully present in them, yeah. you know? Or, I mean, I guess I don't even really know what fully presence is because you're there doing it and that's what you're thinking about. But yeah. Yeah, it's a funny thing. Do you have other things in your life that put you into a similar type, that have the ability to put you in a similar type of flow state outside of performing or creating music? Yeah. I mean, uh, I've been a visual artist most of my life too. So when you get, it's usually a similar thing. It takes like 20 to 45 minutes of doing that act, whether it's playing songs or painting or drawing or whatever it is, if you're doing some kind of sculpture or something, but of doing that. And once it kind of lights you up and you get really excited about it and you, you're like, okay, now I see what I'm going to do here you get so into it 
and it it does totally it turns into some flow or some um you kind of already know what the next steps are and you while simultaneously not having to think about it anymore but just like listening to your intuition i guess for me is usually what the flow is like trusting yourself and just listening to the trusting yourself so that you can just sort of let your intuition take over yeah it's almost like trusting that you can get out of your own way or almost not do anything in order for the thing to happen yeah the best that it could like the most genuinely and connected you need to just get out of your own the the, like self-critical or or not even self-critical but just critical state you know i hear that with writing all the time too like poetry or or fiction you know like leave the editor mind to the side when you're generating work you know because that comes in later but when you're like trying to get into that imaginative state like leave that editor mind or the critical mind you know to the side some of the my favorite songs that i've ever written are ones where i get out of my own way and something comes through me and there's this thing I end up with at the end that I feel like I didn't really do anything to generate. And they're not all like that. Other ones are much different. It's like building something step by step. But um, I don't know, those ones where it just sort of flows through me have always been really special. Do you, do you have certain songs, whether it's for that reason or other reasons that are particularly special to you? Well, I guess I'm curious, like, what is that like for you? You know, when that happens, what have those moments been like for you? Because I almost feel like mm-hmm. that, that the moment of that happening while you're writing can be more important than what comes out of it, even though usually when you actually get there in the writing, that song ends up being one that you really love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess that you're right. It's like, those moments are what I cherish the most. And then there are uh, some songs that that moment has extended long enough that a song came out of it that I can hold on to afterwards. Cause I really struggle with finishing songs. So I have a lot of like quarter done songs that came from that state that then is really hard for me to come back to. And then, yeah. Oh yeah. I've got (laughs) so many of those you know <laughs> right because it's like if you're not able to maintain that feeling for however long it takes to get the song out it's hard to come or almost impossible to come back to it and enter that feeling again yes and then if you try to and then if you try to finish it with your your mind instead of that state it almost feels like um insincere like pairing those two things together right yeah it always feels like two on the nose or you're just like replaying things that you've already heard from other people yeah that's the worst (laughs) although i don't want that to be considered like i'm totally against the idea of the like the original thought you know because oh it's all about borrowing from people 
or stealing in a polite way and a respectful way, you know? Oh, totally. Yeah. It's almost just like, how do we become a, a combination of everything that we've ever taken in and then try to use that to come out in some way that we could only do it, but it's has these deep roots to things that aren't original. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of songs that I really liked writing, I remember like going through these processes of thinking of other artists while I was writing it. I'm like, I'm going to be like Jackson Brown right now on this Mm -hmm. one. And then like the second verse, I'm going to do some like Bruce Springsteen stuff. Uh, and in my mind, I feel like it's just a straight ripoff. But then when you listen back to it, you realize, you know, you couldn't have even ripped it off the same as they do it, even if you tried, you know, no matter what it, yes, you kind of like mess it up and it just can only come out as what your ability is or the way you think or the way you talk, you know? Yes. And that's where that that combined with that self-critical part of us can really leave you feeling with that strong sense of imposter syndrome because we're the only one inside of that whole process. Yeah. And I guess that's actually something I think that it's self-criticism or self-critique, but it's also imposter syndrome that I've always battled, you know? And I I mean, I think a lot of people do at certain times. Could you expand on that a little bit more? Like, what is it? What did that? What does that mean to you? Um, I mean, I guess again, it's just it comes. Maybe it's too simple, but it just comes down to not trusting yourself. You know, not trusting yourself, so you can't uh, really tap into your intuition, right? Because you're mm. you're doubting that what your mind and your body knows and the experiences you've had, you're doubting that those are of any worth. Um, Mm -hmm. Like to yourself and to others. Cause that's, you know, once I started making music and, and releasing it and using it sort of in a public or sharing way, there's always some part of your mind that jumps to like, okay, well, what is someone, how is someone else going to hear this? You know? Yeah. So I think that plays a lot into the imposter syndrome too. I'm not trusting that this is going to like add to anybody's day, you know, or people are just going to laugh at you or think you're an idiot. (laughs) Do you think much about philosophy or um, maybe more what I'm more curious about is metaphysics? Like, do you spend a lot of time thinking about spirituality or what's going on on the layers deeper than the normal, ordinary consciousness of our personality? Yeah. uh, You know, I haven't like studied it in depth, but I've always had a deep respect and belief that that's there and that's part of our lives. And it, um, if you pay attention to it, you do start to notice 
that it's part of your days, you know, and like you need to treat that with care, you know, and like there's totally cosmic stuff. Like I have, I've always had dreams. Uh, it could be a really mundane thing. And then years later, you're in that moment, you know, it's like one step above deja vu where almost like premonition like stuff. And I think that's a very mm-hmm. easy one that just like sinks into people's lives because it's happening all the time. You know, and again, that's like part of that intuition, like our bodies kind of know because they are connected to this metaphysical or spiritual plane of life. Yeah. And when you realize how how much of the time we're already surrendering to that deeper wisdom, the same wisdom that, uh, um, you know, knows how to pump your blood and keep your heart beating and keep your organs working all the time. And you can, yet we keep this whole other separate stuff in our minds of stuff we need to hang tightly onto. Otherwise things are going to go wrong. Like when we're performing music, like you can get into that space where I have to think about this to do it the best. And we forget about this, like whole, deeper uh wisdom within us that just kind of knows and it doesn't know it knows it just knows yeah yeah and i've been thinking about this whole like uh western like self-improvement kick right that's so baked into us it's like oh i gotta do better mm-hmm. i gotta do this better you know I'm, I'm treating myself bad in this way so i need to change that which is completely counter to what you're talking about of of the body's own wisdom and trusting that it'll know what to do you know yes. and if you just pay attention to that then you're never going to get in too deep anywhere you know because it's going to tell you when it's time to back off or it's time to move forward or or to sit still for a while you know yes and that's where probably one of the most important uh flips of consciousness that it's been for me is when you hit those moments where you feel like you don't know what to do or what the right thing to do is next and where we're typically conditioned to at that moment just try harder Mm. think harder or do more to meet that moment with us slowing down and allowing something to come in rather than trying to do something yeah yeah and i mean that's kind of what we're talking about with writing songs you know it's it's trying to get to that point in the writing process. I'm not trying to mm-hmm. push or pull anything, uh, but sort of listening to the like internal and external wisdom. Well, you know, right before coming on to this uh, chat with you, I had forgotten about the name of one of your albums and I wanted to make sure I had it right. And when I logged on to Spotify, I saw that you released new music very recently and I was super jazzed to see that. <laughs> tell, tell me a little bit about that. Uh, the new EP? Yeah. Yeah, so that, um, I actually recorded it right after Until the Wildfire. Um, two of the songs were sort of like B-sides that weren't going to fit on that record. Um, But I'd had them for years. Anyways, and I wanted to get them down. Um, And it was the first time since uh, 
that rocks and gravel EP that I just played everything myself and, and produced it myself uh, with the help of my friend Andy Cass, who engineered it. I did record it at his studio. And he was same studio that um, I did Wildfire at. Um, so we spent like a year, like 2000, mid 2017 to, I guess right at the end of 2018, we worked on it for a while. It's just four songs. Um, and yeah, it was, you know, that was a really humbling moment because we, I was so jazzed on until the wildfire. And I did that with a group of really dear friends and, I uh, had my buddy Carl produce that because uh, he's just a kind of musical wizard. Um, so he was really a big part of turning that record into what it was. Uh, so then to go into this thing that was just me for the most part and Andy had input too uh, was really humbling. And we finished it end of 2018 and then I just never released it because I didn't feel like we ever got the real like heart strand of it, you know? Mm. And then I would listen to it every once in a while uh, over the past year and a half. And yeah, so this year I just kind of, I decided, you know what? Oh no, what happened was my, my friend Dominic got into a motorcycle accident in August and I reached out to him. He lives in St. Louis and I, you know, I just asked like seeing what I was doing and I asked if there's anything that I could do or send him to like help him pass his time while he's recovering. Um, and he said, you know, just send me any music that you've been working on. So I sent him that EP and, and, uh, some demos and some rough drafts of the EP that we're working on this year. Um, and the first thing he texted back was, you know, and I explained it to him too, that I'd kind of decided not to release that EP masquerade. And his first response was like, I'm sure you have your reasons, but I don't know why you never released masquerade. Um, you know, and said some kind things about it and I could just tell that it moved him to some degree. So I realized like, okay, well, if he got something out of it, like why should I just hang on to this and like keep it in the archives? You know, it's done and I'll just share it with people. And, you know, if they find something in it, great. And if not, then they won't listen to it, you know? Um, and also cause I'd gone, gotten really far away from those songs. Um, and it was already all wrapped up, I, I realized, like, I'm just going to donate all those proceeds to um, an organization. So I found this organization, Glitz, that's um, all about supporting uh, the transgender communities, LGBTQ plus communities, um, like housing and, and policies and uh, medical care. So all the proceeds are going to be, you know, given to them so they can use it to help others. So that felt like a good, just letting go of that 
uh, not keeping that EP or those songs precious, you know? Well, I know I'm super excited to get to listen to that EP. I'm going to put it, my headphones on right after this and listen to it. And I'm sure other people will be excited to listen to it too. So why don't you share how people can connect with you and find your music and learn more about you? Yeah, it's, um, you can, I'm mostly active on Instagram. So it's just at Trey Clark and, um, you know, it's on all the streaming services, Spotify, um, Bandcamp with specifically with that EP Bandcamp's the place to go. If you want to, um, you know, donate, because all that money will be donated to Glitz. And um, yeah, and if you want to shoot me an email, it's jclar at gmail.com. Happy to say hi. Great. Great. So everyone go listen to Jake's music by the uh, the new EP. It's going to a good cause. And uh, I want to just uh, sincerely thank you for doing this, Jake. It was so awesome getting to talk to you. Yep. Thank you so much for having me. It's great talking with you too. Cool. Thanks. All right. That's it. Thank you to Jake again for doing this. And thank you all for being here and supporting the show. It means a lot to me. Here's another one of Jake's songs called Rosie. See you next time. Peace.
asked her, how's your shoulder? She said, it's healing up just fine. I heard you've been working over on the east side. Well, tell me, how's that going? She said, it's been all right. 